Hi, this is Mike. And this is Sean. Welcome to The Cooling Tower, our straight talk podcast where we explore all things atomic. Inside The Cooling Tower, we interview atoms and deep dive into interesting topics and perspectives that are worth sharing. Sean and I have our guest, Adam Metema, in The Cooling Tower today. Hey, Adam. Welcome to The Cooling Tower. Uh, Good morning, guys. So Adam is Atomic's internal accountant. He's been with us for almost six years now. Outside of Atomic, Adam enjoys outdoor activities like cycling, kayaking, skiing. And and these hobbies, as I know, have led to some uh, vicious injuries. Can uh, can you talk a little bit about about one of these injuries? I I know you just had a recent one. (laughs) Sure, sure. Yes, uh, that tends to happen. But luckily, uh, most of my injuries are in the past with skiing related. But uh, I do tend to tend to uh, hit a tree from time to time mountain biking. But uh, last week was a little bit of a unique first for me. I was uh, grabbing the mail, like I share that responsibility with Mary and uh, Terry a little bit and was doing that on a in the midst of a little bit of a uh, bike ride like I like to do and was kind of just cruising home uh, through downtown. It was getting a little dark, but I had my fancy high-powered light on and must have looked down at my Garmin for just a hot second and looked up and within six feet was an open door right in front of me in the bike lane from a parked car. And I probably had, yeah, like a millisecond to react. I think I instinctually tried to swerve to avoid it, but like punched the door with my right hand and shoulder and went flying down the street, (laughs) barrel rolling. I think I ended up like 20 or 30 feet away from the car. I think the guy was quite in shock. Luckily, bike was good. Bike was good. Hand was a little uh, beat up, but... uh, it seems to be working properly, and the swelling has gone down. But uh, the car took the worst of the damage, so I'm pretty lucky there for sure. It sounds like it was work related, so I wonder how our workers' comp is going to deal with that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I had punched out by that time. I'd been riding around the city a little bit. But... So, Adam, when you yes. looked at your Garmin, did you, what? What was the uh, miles per hour? <laughs> I think it was pretty slow because I was in a very lackadaisical, chill mood. It was like, you know, nice and warm Indian yeah. summer, but dark out. And I was just kind of cruising around. I couldn't have been going more than like 15, 17 tops okay. where normally, I don't know, through the city, I try to be a little careful because of situations like this. Normally, yeah. Julie's on me pretty hard for, uh, I don't know, because I'm a little bit of a worry war and like, watch out for this car, watch out for that car. And of course, I'm the one who got hit them this time. Uh, but. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like one of those high school physics questions. Like if we could measure like how far Adam flew, how much he weighed, we can, we can back into the speed of that bike when I hit that door. I know. I really wanted to see like if there was some security footage from like the boardwalk condos where I was in front of, because man, it would have been crazy because it happens Oh, so fast. Like, (laughs) but no, feeling pretty lucky. Came out of that one with just a few scrapes and cuts. And yeah, I think I scared that guy more than, or I don't know, maybe the adrenaline was flowing for me. So in the moment, (laughs) the shock, but I think, yeah, I think he he was a little more scared than I was. Well, certainly glad you're okay. Yes, Yes, me too. And I've been riding my bike, so I'm back on the horse. No worries. (laughs) Good. 
So today, our cooling tower topic is open book management, or uh, you know, as we abbreviate it, OBM. And open book management really embodies uh, a couple of Atomic's values, uh, a few that come to mind, act transparently, uh, teach and learn, own it is another one. Yeah, so if, if you do any research on open books management, it's really made up of three primary components. So the first one is every employee should be given the measures of business success and taught to understand them. The second one is every employee should be expected and enabled to use their knowledge to improve performance. And the third one is every employee should have direct stake in the company's success and, in, and, and the risk of failure. I believe that when we all understand Atomic's financial situation and, and really even our, our model, it leads to greater understanding of each atom's stake and importance in the company. I remember coming from businesses that didn't practice OBM, and I would think about the you know some of the the back burner latent stress or vague worries that can cycle around companies when you don't know the financial condition of the company or if your efforts are making a difference. On the flip side, in Atomic. When we practice OBM, I see it encouraging trust, fairness, commitment, and engagement. Encourage us all to seek to you know, maintain good results or improve the numbers in a positive direction. Yeah, so uh, we invited Adam to our conversation today because he, he's really the hub of Atomic's financial wheel. He has extensive knowledge of Atomic's finances, he compiles, organizes, and analyzes data to empower the work of other atoms. And he also keeps Atomic on track by staying on top of uh, discrepancies and making it possible to share information transparently and comprehensively. So I think, Adam, you're really uniquely positioned to, to join us in this conversation today. So thank you for, for, for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so before, before we dig more deeply into open books management, can you share a little bit about like what a typical day looks like for you? Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, <laughs> a typical, typical day is kind of a hard thing to pin down, um, but that's kind of what I like about like working for a company of our size. I really touch, like Mike said, every every little side of uh, of the finances. Whereas if I was working for a, you know a bigger company, I might just work in one narrow bandwidth in high detail. So. I would say if you look at like the, 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 the typical day, it always starts with email. I, I get a, a whole lot of email every given day, probably between 25 and eh, sometimes upwards to 75 emails a day. And it's all just inbounds or outbound, you know, questions or tasks or, or just any item related to the main areas that I cover, and that would be like accounts payable, accounts receivable slash invoicing, HR related accounting, which would be like payroll and benefits administration. And then the like the overarching big picture on all that is like both the macro and the micro analysis that happens day in and day out and quarterly and yearly. So any given day, I probably, I spend, you know, a, a nice little morning time organizing email and figuring out what my main tasks for the day are going to be. Um, and then I normally touch on two to three of those categories each day. And then probably like a third of the day is just 
set aside for engaging in emergent needs and tasks that come from both you guys, come from MPs. I do a lot of dealing back and forth with with DLs as well. There's a lot of nuance on the invoicing cycle that happens with each customer. And so making sure those are handled well and with care is kind of an important part of each day. Very important, yes. <laughs> yeah. Is there a particular part of your job that's like your favorite part? Yeah, for sure. The macro analysis is my favorite part. What we're really actually just getting the ball rolling on for Q3 right now is is looking at those quarterly results. Danielle has been a big help in, in helping me compile all that transaction load and making sure it's nice and clean. So that's what we've been doing like the past week since the quarter is closed. We're talking like over a thousand AMX transactions typically that have to get coded correctly, put in all the right buckets. That's kind of that first step. And then from here, now we do interesting things with accruals on the quarter end and then really looking at the performance and looking at our stats, so to say, for the quarter and 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 you know, making decisions on how to go forward from there. And and yeah, that's probably my most fun part for sure. Yeah, it's quite a variety. You're uh you're tending to every tree and then zooming out and seeing the shape of the forest. Yeah, for sure. Which, I mean, that can be dif- difficult to task manage from time to time. But um, yeah, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Like it, it makes such a huge difference in being able to see the bigger picture when you can dive into the day-to-day and know the nuance too. It makes it efficient on the back end because... Like, I don't have to go crazy digging because, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. I'm used to this trend here and there from the daily flow that I can look and, right. and investigate, you know, do that so-called forensic accounting a lot, a lot easier when you're in the day-to-day as well. Yeah. Digging into open book management. You know, Mike, you, you laid out three main components of OBM. Maybe it'd be, it'd be good for you to, to take those one at a time. And, uh, and and engage Adam on on each one. Yeah. So so kind of the first the first point is every employee should be given the measures of business success and taught to understand. Yeah. I mean, the core of that really comes down to our our quarterly meetings and and our cadence for that. That's our biggest measure of projection of financial health and results to the company. And, and that's where we both present, you know, a lot of information, but also we try not to go too crazy in those and, and touch on key points. But then uh, obviously there's, there's more information available to Adams as they seek it out, both through questions and engagement, but also through the manual and through economics of AO, items like that. You end up getting like a lot of one-off questions from people. Um, yeah, finances. for sure. Especially around, you know, when it comes to the quarterly results in terms of profit sharing and all the other aspect related in that quarterly kind of cadence too is when we do the valuation and employee owners, you know, often have been questions around around how we're valuing the company based on the results too. And then yeah, we I get a fair amount of inbounds just on a on a weekly basis too, in terms of like the HR side of finance, like asking question about about our benefits and ideas and suggestions and just on that education component from that end too. You know, there's those those macro level checkpoints that uh, we do a great job 
and doing, but I think a lot of the infrastructure that we've continued to put into our radiators and our punch it tooling and the work uh, Jesse and Dylan have been doing this year. So uh, each person can look at, uh, you know, expectations for hours worked and utilization and where we sit in aggregate with like that scatter plot we use. Uh, we really show, hey, if we're all playing in this zone, we will find success. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing too to kind of add to that is just the role everyone's playing all the time to keep existing clients happy is also really aiding keeping that utilization high, which is one of those major business business metrics that that can really drive the company. Mm-hmm. So the, the second point is every employee should be expected and able to use their knowledge to improve performance. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that touches to what Sean was talking about in terms of of our focus on utilization and and the radiator as a tool, as a visible tool for everybody to to engage like instantaneously with how how things are going from their own personal and and as their part in the bigger team for sure. And then I think especially what I engage with DLs too specifically, they can really see that their direct stake and like how those invoices are getting determined and how we're doing customer discounts when we're not, what we're, what we're communicating on that front, how we're making decisions on how much to invoice and not they, I think DLs, especially in their engagement with me really can see how their direct impact uh, with the customer (laughs) impacts our financial results. Sure. And then the final point is every employee should have a, a direct stake in the company's success and in the risk of failure. Yeah, for sure. This year, more than anything else, we've, we've seen that for, you know, obviously one of our you know, core pillars is, is cash profit sharing and 401k profit sharing. And, and we communicate that really well and how we get to those numbers. And, and when we've had to make, you know, decisions this year on how we want to handle handle the pandemic and the way we respond, you know, we've made good decisions and very transparent decisions about what we're going to withhold. And that takes extra education and transparency there too. Yeah, I think one thing too to kind of add on that, how our how our our how our profit sharing was defined and like a like basically a percentage of our operational profit, which then really comes back in a service company to kind of as we add more folks to the team, you know, we're able to kind of increase our operational profit, but, but generally at kind of the, the same frequency as we add people. You know, I think one of the things that really directly ties this together is, you know, back to our, our profit margin, really, really being kind of that proxy for like how the organization is doing in any given quarter. And like, generally, when you see a high profit margin, that will correspond to like a, a higher profit sharing. So I think that's something that's that's really cool about Atomic, how that hopefully that people see that profit sharing and they're able to tie that back to profit margin. And then profit margin filters into so many different things. Like, are we taking care of clients? Are we being smart with our expenses? You know, are we are we avoiding uh, give backs where we can, so on and so forth? Are we doing good with marketing and sales, keeping people busy, avoiding gaps and holes in our schedule? So Adam, um, if we kind of transition a little bit, what do you find on the challenges side for implementing OBM? Because obviously, like a lot of this, a lot of a lot of things come come down to you to like you know make sure that we have the the data available mm-hmm. and uh, 
you know, I'm sure that comes with some challenges. Like in some cases, I'm sure it'd be easier to just be like, well, let's just not share this thing. Um, yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, instead of being accountable to just the leadership team, you know, me and you guys as an extension are, we're all accountable to everybody uh, on the financial nuance and, and, you know, outside of employee salary data, we, we share, you know, pretty much every available metric that we have. And, and so with that transparency, like is, is an extra level of accountability. Every nuance has to be in line. If this, what is this transaction that has this? Well, I got to be able to back up every little transaction, both to the leadership team and to employees who might have questions about, hey, we're trying to do this on this project. I want to know like what kind of spending I can do here and what's been done in the past. And I have to give them historical data and, and give them good guidance and they can see, you know, good ways to do that. But then they also see their results on that too. And then, yeah, so transparency just takes that extra level of accountability, but also then, then there's a timing aspect to that too. Like when you, when you kind of have closed quiet books, like you can, just let things kind of ebb and flow beneath the surface. But when everybody's looking all the time, uh, it means that like the books need to be as clean. And by clean, I mean like up to date as accurate as possible. So like this is where Danielle's been a key help and, you know, adding to our financial structure is, is really getting all our transactional load in the books very accurately and timely so that people can see where we are at these snapshots at any given time. Yeah. What I hear you saying, Adam, is it's, uh, you know, the challenges are, it takes some um, discipline and some rigor to keep things uh, clean. It takes effort to make the big picture explainable, but on the flip mm-hmm. side of that, it really offers a lot of benefits. Uh, I, I think uh, just by having that discipline and that rigor and keeping things clean, gives us a really clear picture of the business performance. It increases a lot of trust. It creates opportunity for us to live the teach and learn value and increase everybody's uh, financial acumen as, as you take them into that, that mm-hmm. picture. Yeah. And I mean, on a slightly selfish side too, this, uh, it helps uh, like project <laughs> my value to people who might not see me, you know, or interact with me every day type of thing. And, and I'm, it gives me an opportunity to interact with teams and individuals that, you know, in a different company style structure, I would kind of be tucked away a little bit more and, yeah. and maybe just working with my core, you know, constituents in the company. Yeah, one of the things I've, I've, I've found or noticed is, you know, not, not too dissimilar from, from development. Like sometimes there's a bug that happens in a company. Right. And the bug might be a transaction goes in the wrong place or something was accounted for incorrectly. And an accounting book system is really nice because it it it, it really makes it difficult to, to lose money. You can just kind of misplace it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's there's been times, you know, as we've closed a quarter where things haven't lined up perfectly and we've 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 noticed, hey, there's there's a there's a bug somewhere. And uh, a lot of times that means. Adam needs to go bug hunting and he needs to go bug hunting with a very real timeline in place. So if there's <laughs> yeah. a really real yep. pressure to like find and fix that bug, 
within a given timeline. And uh, I think that's uh, I think that's one thing to point out to, to some of the other folks listening to this because like, you know, any, anyone who's who's gone kind of bug hunting before or fixing, like it's really difficult to, to identify like how long is it actually going to take for me to find that and fix it and address it. And, yeah. um, you know, you got 12 hours, Adam, go. Right, yeah. <laughs> and obviously, you know, we have tricks and tips and experience to to work through those type of things but like you said yeah you're kind of like jumping into the abyss because the reason you it didn't pop out right the first time is because it's not easy to figure out and why (laughs) so (laughs) yeah but but yeah i mean that's something i really appreciate about the you know the similarities in the culture between what i do and and even though it's very different, different with the development work, but you know they they kind of understand and it's similar structures. And you know I've got my formulas in Excel too. That's kind of like not really like coding, but <laughs> slightly. You're a functional programmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so Adam, if you don't mind, uh, there is a question that we had we had a little bit later in the program, but I'd, I'd like to skip ahead and prompt you because you, you segued into it nicely when you said, you know, in other organizations, you might be tucked away more in the, in the side room. Uh, yeah. And you, you know, without naming names of other employers or your work experience, uh, you've worked as an accountant for other organizations before Atomic. And is there any comparisons, uh, you know, things that you can, that come to mind about comparing our financial and OBM philosophy and what your experience is like here with, with those other, other companies? Yeah, other for sure. It's interesting. I've a mix of just what's been available and I, what I gravitated to um, in terms of my career, but I've, I've typically been with kind of similar size, small to medium size companies. That's been what's been appealing to me in terms of looking for accounting opportunities, mainly because even if it's not open books management to the T like we've been doing, you still have that kind of smaller core structure. But it's interesting in 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 different environments that I've experienced, there's there's been very like centralized core like business operations in terms of finances and then the the actual operations you know profit making operations of the company been very far apart both physically you know which we don't have at atomic you know we do have you know multiple offices but i'm sitting 10 feet away from developers too in a typical setting but just the physical barrier as well as the cultural barrier in other organizations can be pretty significant. And then when you add on top of that, a situation where the financials aren't transparent and there isn't open book management, I feel like the biggest thing I observed in previous careers is is a lot of like distrust in, in that Often it, it it wasn't necessarily warranted, but when you don't have like that proof and trust that like we're working on behalf of everybody and here's how and here's why and it, you know everybody's engaged and has a stake through you know profit sharing and through transparency with quarterly meetings, yeah, you create this a huge amount of fuda there that that 
you didn't necessarily even have to have that and it might not even be realistic but so that's very interesting how easy that void like and that chasm can can get created and and gossip and this a mix of of both like just not knowing creating that kind of uncertainty and and then also like people wanting to know but just feeling like that they're not worthy of knowing so would you so it's almost like you're saying like people people are kind of inventing the story that, that they yeah. think is happening and that that might be not true did you would you find it that people would assume the company was much more profitable or much less profitable depends on this on the situation i think whatever visible clues somebody might have when there isn't an obvious answer in front of them then they're going to take those clues and go to either end of the spectrum. So I've witnessed both when like times were tough, then people get really worried and like really think the situation might even be way worse than it is. And then when times are good, sometimes people are, whoa, geez, you know, man, he's driving that brand new Mercedes. And I wish I could get a, you know, a little raise here type of thing. Uh, why, you know, why is everything going so well? So it can go, I feel like, yeah, when there isn't that, that transparency and honesty, it can get exaggerated in either direction. That resonates with me, Adam. I've worked in many places and saw the, the same kind of storytelling. I think as, mm-hmm. as, uh, as humans, we love to tell ourselves stories in the absence of information. So let's, let's, let's look to transition the conversation a little bit to kind of the, the history of open books at Atomic. So, you know, these kind of, you know, I'll leave some opening for, for both you guys to kind of speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think it's interesting. There isn't a date that comes to mind for me. The, uh, I've, I've been with Atomic since 04, and it, it's all been one big happy blur. But I know Carl was really naturally inclined to practice OBM in, in that he's always been a savvy investor. And I think as a, as a professor in a previous career, he always had a, a natural inclination to want to teach to increase the financial acumen of, of Adams. When I came in in 04, there was already uh, profit sharing in place. Um, I remember feeling shocked watching him go through uh, high-level financial results. It's nothing I'd ever seen in a business that I, that I had worked in before. And it was really, I mean, only three years after, after the, the company being founded, I think the, uh, you know, his approach towards teaching transparency, the culture of ownership was, was there in the early days. And it was really later. And th- this is where I can't remember the year, but it was like, oh, wow. Uh, you know, there's, there's this guy, Jack Stack, who wrote a book, The Great Game of Business. And it, it adheres to many of the principles um, that were already being practiced in Atomic. And, and that was cool too, because it, it helped us see, hey, there's, there's birds of a feather here. There's a, a growing culture around this open book management and other people are seeing the success that uh, the transparency unlocks. Yeah, what I, what I find interesting about that is Jack, Jack Stack really you know, came into the development of open books management because of a crisis. Yes, and I believe like 
you know, it's like one of these things where like Carl intuited it at like the same time for a different set of reasons. I think just because he intuitively felt it was the more fair and right way to, to run a business because he didn't have any of the formal business training that said like, yeah, maybe you don't want to do that. So, you know, I, I think he was always looking at it unconventionally. And I, I would always joke with him because he had a note in uh, one of his original um, course packets for Econ of AO uh, where he would, he would talk about open books management and then joke that like he invented it. But like in, in, re- in reality, like <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. And then I, and then I discovered that, that Jack Stack had invented it too. So <laughs> that's interesting. You see a lot of the, the traits of unsatisfied with the status quo, creative, trusting, a lot of that coming through and, and, and then the business practices, right. Of sharing the financials. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I, I can't, I can't remember the exact date when, when Carl first did the econ of AO, which is still pretty much the core class that, that I continue to teach today. I can't put my finger on the date, but what I, I have to remember it, it had to be sometime around, you know, between 2008, 2010, some, somewhere in there. But what I do remember is I remember the feeling I had going through that first class it was, uh, we did it on the main floor in 941. We did it with the whole company. And it, it was Carl really going into like teacher professor mode. And it was, uh, it was such a cool and empowering thing as we took this, this, this group of, of, of primarily engineers at the time. Like we were starting to get a little bit into design um, and really you know, taking this group of mathematically minded people by default, but, but didn't have really any concepts of, of, of business or um, finance or accounting, just really demystifying all of that and, and making it quite simple for people. And I just, I just remember feeling like, wow, this was this, this really powerful and unique thing. And it's still something that I, I haven't seen replicated anyplace else. I'll talk about things like the econ of AO with, uh, with my Vistage group, which is a professional group that I'm involved with. And people are just blown away by like the concept of it and the transparency and the investment in that education. Yeah, I agree. I, I have a similar, you know, I was at, at that class as well, Mike, that first class. And I think at the heart of it too, was Carl's effort to build a model of the business, which we still use today to model all offices. So, you know, Adam, you're, you're deep in that work. And um, I think that's interesting because it allowed what if games to be played, people to tweak inputs and see what happens to the outputs. And then that really drives into, you know, the aspects of OBM. People start to see the forces that are at work. We, we know and we're, we're taught the rules and we know how uh, we can improve performance or affect performance by pulling pulling on some of those levers. It's curious, Adam, when you when you come in, you're heavy into that uh, the model. You know, the the econ of AO uses it as a class, but you're you're in there tweaking the dials on the real deal every year. Uh, is that yeah, something different sure. you've seen as well in your career? Yeah, that's completely unique. Um, I've I've experienced a few times where similar similar to our quarterly structure with meetings, maybe not quite as transparent as what we do on that front. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's, I wouldn't call it a norm, but slightly more regular in in my experience. But the economics of AO, yeah, I remember Mike, Mike ran me a, a one-off individual class, like in my first week, I think it was. <laughs> um, 
of that. And it's, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's almost like, oh man, I'm trying to think there was like a video game from when I was younger about like, uh, about similar things where you build this company and you, and you move all these little levers and I'm like, holy cow, like, but this is with like the real thing. And these are real inputs here. And then, you know, to come and turn around in the next cycle and to jump into the making the model for the next year. Um, and it's just a cool thing because it, it really takes our company and you, you, you kind of put it all in a little bottle and you, and you, and it's really kind of a nice way to step back and like, look at all these different inputs, slightly simplified, you know, it's never perfect. Like our model for this year sure didn't uh, predict <laughs> what came our way, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, it gives you a sense of, you know, certainty and resolve that like, oh, we got this structure, we've got a system that works and we can see it. It's relatively simple while being complex too. you know, being a service company with our standard hours output type of thing is, is relatively simple compared to some like manufacturing or, or similar industries. Yeah. That, that tool is, has been really fun and it's, it's been really valuable. Gotcha. I think with all the great, the, you know, the, 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 the great perspective you're sharing on the model, I just want to call out, I think my personal best takeaway of this episode is knowing you were playing accounting video games as a kid. <laughs> you, you, you really uh, come into your dream. Yeah. It might've been like, 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 like a junior high school thing. Like that first like taste of economics or something like that, where you, and it, I remember it being pretty competitive. Oh, I think it was maybe like Mike's bikes or something like that. Maybe that was my first, uh, this, this sounds like a future business, <laughs> Mike and I, that, that I'll talk Mike into helping me launch. Oh man, <laughs> I'm going to have to, you'll, you'll be there up. too, Adam. You could, you could help us run that. Yeah. It was a fun scenario where you just, yeah, you have all these little inputs and you're kind of competing against other people's bike shops or whatever. And you make decisions about what to do when, and then you see all these outputs through the model. Yeah. Well, Adam, we really want to thank you for, for joining us in the cooling tower today and sharing yeah. your, your knowledge and wisdom on open books management. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me guys. Love it.